Welcome to The Real Life Show, Living with a Chronic Illness. We are your hosts, Cassie and Chelsea. I'm Cassie, a single mom living with a chronic illness who is extremely passionate about living a very full and happy life. And I'm Chelsea. I have a passion for helping people to put themselves first and to be the best versions of themselves each and every day. We came together to create the Wellness Hub, which is an uplifting community that offers resources, guidance, support, and offers you the space to be yourself, be heard, and feel understood. We hope that by providing a space to share tips and tricks, that we help people with chronic conditions to thrive and live the lives they've dreamed of. This show is not only for those who live with a chronic illness or disability, but their friends, family, spouses, and just anyone else existing on the earth. Our goal is to normalize having a chronic condition by sharing real stories with real people and show the world how relatable these everyday struggles can be. There's a little something in here for everyone. And a special shout out to our community, The Wellness Hub. Thanks to your contributions, we are able to provide flexible work opportunities for Spoonies, to donate to our nonprofit Spoonies Unite, which helps provide wellness treatments for those who need it, and supports us in our endeavors. To learn more, visit the show notes. Enjoy the show. Hello, trusted listeners, fellow friends whom we enjoy so much. Welcome to The Real Life Show, Living with a Chronic Illness. Today, we've got an awesome interview for you in store with Ollie, who is an aerialist artist from Australia, who lives with hypermobility spectrum disorder and Sherman's disease. His medical journey has also been impacted by the fact that he is transgender. And because of this, he has learned about navigating the healthcare system when doctors come with unhelpful bias or misinformation. He is really passionate about patients being seen for their intersectional identities and hopes to see a future where the medical system embraces diverse health experiences. Ollie is one of our amazing wellness hub members, and we've had so much fun getting to know Ollie within our community. And we're just so excited that you all get to know Ollie too. And he just has some amazing and incredible perspectives. And I just can't wait for you to listen. So enjoy. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's episode of the Real Life Show, Living with a Chronic Illness. I am so excited for today's episode interviewee because it's ollie hi ollie hi thank you so much for having me i'm so excited to be here <laughs> yeah we're so excited. we have been wanting this to happen for a while and i'm so glad that we're actually here thank you for waking up early to talk to us from australia <laughs> we <laughs> appreciate <my> <laughs> it and let's just let's just dive in because you've got a really really interesting story do you want to tell our listeners a little bit about Dude. who you are and how you've gotten yes. to where you are today Sure. Sounds great. So yeah, thank you for having me. I am from Australia. So the future's great. <laughs> it's Saturday <laughs> morning where we are here. I think it's Friday afternoon, evening. Friday, Friday evening. 3.33 yeah. as I look at my clock right now. Oh, 3.33. That's always a good sign. Hmm. That is. It's 8am here. Um, so yeah, I am from Australia. I am an aerialist. So I mainly do like aerial hoop and lira, which is really, really fun. And my main health journey began around 2015-ish, but it was kind of not a huge concern for a couple of years. Mainly the stuff that was more concerning was around 2019 and then to present day now. Um, and aside from the physical health challenges that I'll talk about in a minute, I've also um, had some different challenges with medical professionals because I'm transgender. So when I go to them for support with some of my physical health stuff, it's sometimes I guess they have mixed experience or maybe bias that they aren't aware of. And so that's been like a different lens again, um, I guess, how I was treated in the medical system before I transitioned versus how I'm treated now, which is really interesting. Um, so I have a few fun things going on as <laughs> most movies do. So you collect them all. Um, my main area of concern is my like spine and my hips. And it's really interesting because I've had like a bad back since I was a teenager, but most people have a bad back. Like it's really common for you to be like, oh, my back's a bit shit. And three other people are like, oh, me too. Yeah. So it's you like. You say that and I'm like, my yeah. back hurts right now. Exactly right. <laughs> but probably not in the way that yours does. Potentially mm -hmm. not. So this is exactly what happened for a few years. Like I was like, oh, my back's a bit dodgy. And like, I didn't know really I think much of it. Um, it did get more kind of serious in the start of 2019. I started seeing my doctor and kind of advocating for myself a little bit more 
And she just kind of taught me to do the standard stuff, like, you know, take paracetamol, be mindful of your posture. I have a desk job. So she's like, remember to get up and walk around. And I'm like, okay, I'm doing all that, but sure, we'll keep doing that as much as we can. Um, And so a couple of months later, I like stopped sleeping um, for a couple of nights a week. And it just made me feel uh, like really fragile. Like I felt like I had to be really careful with how I held myself. Um, And I had a lot of rating pain in my back and also my hip and like glute area, which made me feel really unstable. Mm -hmm. And at this point I advocated enough to ask to see a rheumatologist because I tried all the classic things and it wasn't working. So I had to wait about six months to see a rheumatologist. (laughs) So it was a long wait. It could be longer. I know some people have waited years for these types of appointments. That six months felt like forever. Um, and the rheumatologist I saw was really, really awful. <laughs> he oh. just like, I don't I feel like he didn't really care as much as maybe I would have hoped. And he was kind of just a bit all over the place. And he made a lot of comments about my weight. Um, and at the time I was a little bit heavier, but like not to a point where my back should have been hurting. <laughs> um, and he kind of threw around the diagnosis of fibromyalgia, but then was like, oh, but you had like a low false positive for the criteria for that. So like, I didn't even know if I qualified for that. Um, And as soon as I told him that I did aerial circus, he just told me to stop doing it. He's like, oh, that's it. We've solved it. You just need to stop doing that. And I was like, but it's not really an option. It doesn't feel productive. So, and you guys will know that like a health professional telling you to stop movement is just Mm -hmm. like the opposite of what you want. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I like being Pilates instructors, I tend to like the physical therapists more that are like, oh, you're a runner, but this is hurting. Well, let's just keep you running as much as possible versus the ones like yeah. you'll never doing that again. I'm like, oh, exactly. Stop it. Or like a modified program or something. Yeah. So mm-hmm. plus if it's that, your passion and lights you up, like you need yeah, joy. Exactly. <laughs> and I felt like he didn't really have a regard for that. And it was just, yeah, I left that appointment feeling really frustrated um and so I went back to my GP and told her all about this and she's like oh I'm so sorry (laughs) so we agreed to um start seeing a physio and the physio that I saw I saw my first physio for about six months and I didn't see a lot of progress which was really disappointing in hindsight what I needed was more strength training and exercises that built up my back muscles Um, But at the time, the approach that he wanted to go down was some dry needling like every week or fortnight and some like passive stretching. Oh, that's a lot of dry needling. Yeah. (laughs) And I didn't know that that was a maybe not a great approach until afterwards. Like I just thought it was normal. That seems like a lot. Yeah. I mean, I am not a dry needling expert. I have had dry needling done to me. And for Mm. anyone listening, it's like, what the crap is dry needling? It's when a PT, a trained PT, not everyone can do it or other (laughs) practitioner, they take an acupuncture needle and they stick it into tight spots in your muscles that they then determined is the source of your tension of your pain. And it can be really, I've had it done on my shoulder and it's worked Mm. wonders, but it's also not the most pleasant experience. And having done that like every single week, it's really, it's truly meant to release muscles. Yeah. And if you're having it done that often and you're not getting relief, you're probably pain is not coming from muscles. No. That's what I would think too. Like it's not necessarily a muscle tightness, but like a joint instability. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that's, yeah. And in hindsight, it's really interesting to look back at kind of what the treatment plan was then. And I remember like I would get dry needling done and for maybe like half a day to a day afterwards, it would feel better. And then it would immediately go back to what it was before. Mm-hmm. So it felt like a bit of a band-aid approach. Um, And it's interesting because, yeah, I saw him for about six months. And in that time, he asked for an x-ray of my lower spine. I can't remember what he was looking for at the time, but we didn't find whatever he was kind of searching for. Um, But we only x-rayed the lumbar spine. Um, And we were like, oh, nothing there. Easy done. Kept doing dry needling. And after six months, I kind of broke up with that physio and I said, I'm done. Like, and I went back to my GP. Um, and uh, yeah, I was at this point, I was having more symptoms and I was at the point where I was feeling more frustrated. And I think that meant I was better able to advocate for myself. I went back to my GP. I said, things are shit. I don't have any normal days. At this point, my sleep is interrupted every night. Um, I'm in constant pain. And I remember telling her that it feels like my arms are too heavy for my body. Like it feels like my body can't hold itself up. Um, and so I said to her, I want an x-ray of my whole spine, not just the lumbar spine. Um, and they didn't x-ray my whole spine, thank God. And that's when they found a crush fracture in my T9 vertebrae, um, which was very shocking to me and to my doctor. Um, 
the first thing they do when they see that they have a crotch fracture is assess you for any like fall injuries or see if you've had like like it's really common to happen if you jump from a great height or if you're in like a car accident or something really like dramatic you can usually kind of pinpoint um I didn't have anything like that I hadn't had a fall in aero hoop at all um no car accidents or anything so um yeah it was really interesting and my doctor said that because she's I think in her 50s or 60s and she said that in the time she's been practicing medicine she's never seen an unexplained crush fracture That's a good feeling, <laughs> okay. isn't yeah it? and I'm like cool, oh nice. thank you <laughs> yeah you're yeah. super special Ollie yes, not maybe I for just... the reasons you want to be no, exactly. <laughs> so yeah so they and they tested me for bone density because that was their main concern at the time and I remember when I went and had to get a bone density scan my doctor had to send me with extra paperwork because they're like they're not going to believe that a 25 year old is going to need yeah. a bone density scan and they might turn mm-hmm. you away so that was really interesting. Um, and I asked her at the time, I said, you know, could it be possible that this fracture has been there for between nine months and a year and we didn't know about it? And she said, yeah, it's very possible. It's likely what has happened. That was really spooky because like broken bones you think of as like being a thing that you always know immediately. Especially right. in your spine. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I know. It's yeah. bizarre. That's, kind of, that, that's freaky. Yeah. And it was all really weird as well because I didn't know what to do. And she was saying that like spine fractures and crush fractures are weird because it's your spine and you like, it's a really important, obviously part of your body, but because it's so kind of protected by all the stuff around it is in some ways it can be a bit less risky than like breaking a leg because breaking a leg, it's a bit more exposed, whereas a spine kind of has a lot around it. So it's really interesting stuff. Um, That's very interesting. Yeah. At the time I um, was told I was allowed to keep doing aerials for a modified program. So that's what I did. And in hindsight, I probably should have dialed it back a bit more. But I think I took the approach of, oh, they've said it's fine to do a modified program. So I'm going to keep doing (laughs) most of the stuff that I like. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, that was a really interesting time. Um, So this kind of weird, like it was like an answer, but like a non-answer essentially. Um, and around this time I swapped GPs, um, cause my old GP was moving into a specialty. So I needed to find a new one. Um, and this new GP, I think coming at it with fresh eyes, he was really good. And he wanted to do a full check. He wanted to do, um, like another x-ray. Cause at this point it was about five months since we found the fracture. Um, he wanted to do a CT scan, all this other kind of stuff. Um, and from the tests and stuff that he did there, we found out that I have something called Sherman's disease or Schumann's disease. I never know how to pronounce it. It's a really fun German word. <laughs> I, I wasn't totally sure either. I think I said like Sherman's disease. Yeah. <laughs> I guess the first, my first attempt as well. And I've heard doctors pronounce it in like three different ways. So I'm just yeah. totally lost. So it just, yeah, however you want to say it. Yeah, yes. exactly. Um, so basically it's, uh, for me, it's occurring in my T7 to T10 vertebrae. Um, and basically what it means is the vertebrae there has formed incorrectly. It would have formed incorrectly when I was a kid or like adolescent. And it means that the vertebrae are wedge shaped instead of like nice little cylinders. So if you imagine looking at oh. from side on, they're usually the same height front to back, but mine's like wedged forward essentially. Interesting. So, very, very interesting. interesting. Especially you're yeah. talking to two Pilates instructors who are very interested yeah. in the spine. We I know. We're both with the like, spine. And we're like, oh. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. three vertebrae or four? We're like that. I have, I have four. Four. So, and I think it has to be to formally qualify as Schurman's disease. It has to be, I think, at least three and like a certain angle. Like they get in there and they measure all the angles and oh, stuff like Interesting. That. Yeah. So like, so, do the yeah. wedges of your spine, like, are they opposite? So that way, like overall, it's still all like the same height on each. Oh. Nope. It's just a little, it's like a little corner. So it's kind of like, I wonder if people ever get di- misdiagnosed with scoliosis, be- but have shoe They could potentially. Mm. It depends on what kind of scan they've done. And scoliosis is generally, if you're looking from the back of someone, scoliosis mm-hmm. is usually a curve left it's to side right. To side. Mm-hmm. Yeah, whereas this is like a curve forward. And with either, because scoliosis is the side to side, and when uh-huh. it's the forward curve, it's called kyphosis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and with either of those things, it can either be postural kyphosis, where someone's like posture or muscles or ligaments have trouble holding them up which is that, um most yeah. of the population <laughs> most of people yeah <laughs> most of us exactly are not good at that <laughs> yeah. uh, and why Cassie those... and I have jobs <laughs> yeah <laughs> 
keeping you guys in work. <laughs> um, and yeah, so for most people that can be remedied a little bit with some exercises and stuff, as you know, to kind of keep the posture upright. Whereas what I have is called structural kyphosis. And so, yes, a lot of my therapy is, um, I guess, muscles around my back and core strength. But just to a certain point, it's set in stone. It's just mm-hmm. the shape of my yeah, bones. You're, you're not going to move your bones. No, exactly. Mm-hmm. So, and it's really interesting as well because the way that the normal spine is formed is it's meant to have a bit of twist to it. So your like rotation and stuff, but because they're wedge shaped, they don't like move and slide over each other. They probably do not rotate at all. Not at all. So I have like (sighs) almost no thoracic rotation. And in hindsight, it makes total sense, particularly doing aerial circus. Like before I got diagnosed, there have been many times when I've been trying to do a trick and my coach would be like, your body just doesn't move there. And I'm like, oh, I don't know why that doesn't yeah. work. I mean, and the fact that we're like, wow. you can do aerial circus yeah. is blowing my mind. And I'm just I so know. impressed by you. Okay, just anyways, but then with that, <laughs> knowing and maybe Cassie and I, since we are Pilates instructors and understand that level of movement, because yeah. we try to get clients to do it all the time, like knowing yeah. what you're doing without literally being able to move that part of your body. It just props yeah. to you, Ollie. That's <laughs> yeah. awesome. Thank you. I know. And I think I'm really glad that I had started Aerocircus before I kind of got more information about my body because I can totally see me being the type to maybe find this out earlier and then be really excited and maybe want to try out something like Aerocircus and never feel like it's made for me. But in right. hindsight, I'm really lucky to have found a love for it before I got this diagnosis. And now it's just about kind of working with it. Absolutely. Mm. So I have a question. How does yeah. it affect like the discs in your spine too? So um, I think at one point I had like a slight, it wasn't quite like a popped disc, but it was like a disc was like a little bit sliding okay. to one side. Yeah. So like, a, um, like a moving towards a bulging disc. Situation. Just yeah. Moving yeah. towards a bulging disc. Very, very minor one. Yeah. Still exactly. not comfortable. That no, would also cause not. you a lot of pain. No, so, and it has a lot, um, it has a lot of impact on, yeah, kind of how, I don't fully understand, but that whole system, when something's a bit out of whack, it can cause neurological problems. And so that explains a lot of what I was feeling down in my like hips and glutes area. Um, So yeah, it has like some structural issues, but also some like neurological fun stuff that goes on. So yeah, I've been really lucky to not bulger disc entirely but there have been times when they've checked it and it's been like things have been a little bit out of whack and then the next time they'll check it it's thankfully been better so yeah I wonder if your aerial circus stuff if that Mm. because it's there's so so much core strength and stability if that's helping like if that maybe that actually kind of saved your spine in a way that's what I've been thinking because I know again Pilates I've got some clients who have severe degenerative disc um, disease but they don't have pain because they've been doing Pilates for so long that they have the muscle to support their spine so maybe it was it just it was meant to be that you were really good at this and that's what brings you so much joy yeah yeah when I first got this my doctor was like look the worst thing you can do is like fall into a heap and not work on your muscles and just slowly crouch over over time and then you're 80 years old and you can't move <laughs> and I'm like oh okay I'm gonna definitely keep in circus so yeah it was it was really interesting hmm. yeah that wow. is fascinating I definitely think too um I agree Chelsea completely that Ariel probably saved you in so many ways yeah. and helped uh I'm sure it helped pain levels I know that with yeah. being a Pilates instructor um I found Pilates before I got my diagnosis but I had been mm. unwell so I like yeah. knew my body was in pain and, you know, things yeah. like that. Um, and in my first Pilates class, I felt pain relief also in my like hips, pelvis, yeah. low back. And then I was like, oh my God, I just exercised and felt relief. Like what? Yeah. <laughs> You're like, what is this? <laughs> yeah. And then it was like three weeks later that I was like, I'm going to be a Pilates instructor. And I, and the rest is history. I, and the rest is history. <laughs> and I truly, you know, especially with like my surgeries this past year and a half, mm-hmm. I mean, I just can't imagine how much more challenging it would have been for my body to bounce back or how much more like back pain I would have during and everything. Um, if yeah. I didn't have Pilates and had supported my joints in the way that I have. And yeah. now in the last few months, I've gotten back into exercising. I'm, uh, I'm exercising the easiest and the most that I have in over a year and a half. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Chelsea and I worked out yesterday together and like, mm-hmm. I moved really well. Right. 
Yeah, I think you yeah. better than I did. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's Chelsea was just being like, well, I don't know if I really want to do this. <laughs> I was. We were motivated. So. Starting us off the battle, honestly. She's, like, she's not wrong about that. I was. She, I was like, she was like halfway through, and she's like, um, okay, this is going on for too long. I'm over it. <laughs> Very picky about the classes that we take, Cassie. Very yeah. picky. <laughs> yeah. So anyways, I definitely have moments, like even when I left the studio uh, from that yesterday, I was mm-hmm. driving to Whole Foods and I just had a moment like, I'm so fortunate to have found a passion for something that makes like, that really helps my body. And for mm-hmm. me to be doing that workout with Chelsea that I had just done, I just, I had a huge moment of gratitude. Like for 18 months, I haven't been able to move like that. Yeah. And just thankful that my body has the foundation that I've given it, you know, and a lot of my Crohn's symptoms are joint related. So, um, it's, you know, Pilates has really saved me in that sense. So I, I totally agree with Chelsea. I think it's just wonderful that not only you found something that probably helped your mobility with your muscles and your spine and everything, Mm. but gave you joy and passion. And that is just so important to have something that can make you feel happy. Yeah. So I just, Yeah. That's so, so wonderful. Yeah. It's been so important to me. And I think, yeah, having both. And I think when I was training pre-diagnosis, I was probably training in a way that I wasn't understanding my body. Whereas now Mm. training in a way that I have my diagnosis, I can see where I need to work on or what I need to be mindful of in a way that I just did not have before my kind of diagnosis. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. So yeah. Um, After I got this news, uh, it was like a really good little while, but then the shit hit the fan shortly afterwards, unfortunately. <laughs> so I had um, like a huge surge in symptoms. And at this point I was waiting, I was on the wait list for a physio, like a new physio and also a new rheumatologist. Um, so it was just like sitting and waiting essentially. And things got to the point where I was sleeping like maybe four to five hours a night. I was really, really interrupted. Um, and I <clears throat> remember at one point, I, when my partner and I would go to the supermarket, I would have to have a trolley to lean on because I felt like I couldn't walk properly without something to kind of assist me. Um, and a little while after that, I actually had to stop Ariel's um, cold turkey for a little while. I think in total, I had about four or five months off. Um, and during this time, I had those appointments in the physio and stuff. So in hindsight, it was a really good thing to have some time off, but it also felt like it hit me in my lowest where it was like, I feel really challenged by my body. And I kind of, I think I felt like my body was failing me and it was now stopping me from doing the thing that I thought could help it and the thing that I loved. Mm -hmm. Um, And then around in and amongst that time, I also had a visit to the emergency room, which was not very fun. So I had some sharp chest pain um, on my left side and I felt like I wasn't able to like breathe and take in air properly. So um, of course, as soon as you say chest pain, they take you in an ambulance. I had a super mm. fun ambulance ride. And thank God my like heart and tests and all that kind of stuff came back fine. Um, but I, at the time I had something called costochondritis. So it was inflammation of the rib cage. And I've had that body. before. I, oh, it's so I went funny, to an urgent it? care being like, <laughs> I just watched a lot of Grey's Anatomy and I, my chest hurts. And I You're worry like, that I'm oh. having a very like... On a very very rare heart condition, heart problem, yeah. and I, that's exactly what I got yeah. diagnosed with too. Yeah, yep. and so, then understand. You know how fun it is, right? <laughs> but it's scary. You're like my chest hurts right really by scary. my heart. Yeah. The nurse did say the tip she gave me, and I don't know if this is 100 percent true, but <laughs> she said that if you like have chest pain and you push on it, and like it makes it worse, and it feels like it's surface level, not like yeah deep, then it's probably your ribs and like your your cartilage not necessarily yeah. your heart she's like you can't disclaimer we are not me. giving medical yeah. advice yes we're not <laughs> again i don't know if it's true but i have used that in the past i'm like oh my chest kind of hurts a little bit do i push yeah. oh yeah that is tender okay it's just it's yeah. that's what disclaimer. they said to me as well so <laughs> <laughs> thank you cassie <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah so it was like yeah it was the weirdest feeling ever um and the nurse said to me that like it can happen on either the left or the right side like in any place of your ribs but when it happens on the like upper left side it can obviously be really scary um so I had that like I was already I think at that point I had already taken a time time off from aerials I was already in my worst symptoms for all my other like back and hips things so to have that was just like shit on shit, basically. What's happening to me? I know. I was like, oh. I'm falling apart. <laughs> like, what? What? One more thing? No. No. 
and I think at the time I had just had a birthday and I was like oh, I'm so old like this isn't happening I'm aging <laughs> been there yeah um but yeah and for me when I had costochondritis it was I had about two weeks of symptoms after the emergency room visit and the only thing that would help was standing in the shower and we have one of those shower heads that you can like take off and it's on like a movable thing um I would put it on like almost freezing and I would just hold the faucet against my chest because it was like the oh. biggest ice pack ever um, oh. so I did that pretty much every day for two weeks and then it got a little bit better um by about Gosh. three weeks it was fairly normal which is awesome Gosh. so yeah so um and then after that things got a little bit better and a little bit I guess quicker so um, after I had that, I was able to finally see my new physio and we, she was more specialized in working on strength and she was also, or she is an aerialist as well. So I really appreciated that perspective because she was able to come at it from a physio perspective, but also she was never going to tell me like, just stop aerials because yeah. she understands the benefits both mentally and physically. Well, and she um, probably was also yeah. able to be like, here, here, here's the modifications you actually yes. need to take. Cause when they're like, Oh, just, just do a modified regimen. You're like, well, what does that yeah. mean? Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so she probably was able to be like, okay, these types of movements are totally fine. These yes. ones don't do. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I think particularly with aerials, like it sounds weird, but with errors, there's an expected level of pain. Like if you're learning a new trick, things hurt, particularly if you're working on the wire, like the metal bar does hurt you sometimes. And so it was really good having a physio that I was able to speak with and say, okay, I'm learning this trick and I could show her a video or she may already know it herself. Um, And I would say, all right, when I'm doing this trick, it hurts here, here, and here. And she would be able to tell me that's kind of maybe an expected normal amount of pain is conditioning through it or that's something that I think you need to modify this way or be mindful of this muscle or kind of coach me through it in that way so that was really really good so I still I saw her I think for about four or five months and it was all strength based like it was working um, on the reformer together or um, with free weights or like just like my body weight and stuff and I yeah I saw a much better increase um, in my like lifestyle and my decrease in my symptoms and stuff. So that was really, really good. Um, And then around, like, I was already feeling a little bit better and I had that second rheumatologist appointment. So I had to wait again about six months to get in with a different rheumatologist. And I was really nervous after the first one was a bit of a train wreck. Mm -hmm. Um, But thankfully this one was like way better. He, like his bedside manner and his ability to kind of speak with me was already 10 times better um but he was also open to seeing me longer so I think I saw him for about three sessions in the end um and he did way more checks so we did a lot of like physical testing um he asked me to like move my joints in certain ways and he would like put pressure against it and like all this fun stuff essentially um and from those three sessions and scans I did between those sessions we found out that I have generalized hypermobility disorder and I also have degenerative arthritis in my lumbar spine. So that felt like a lot of information to take in like all in one time frame. But in hindsight, it was the last two things that kind of puzzled together with the Sherman's disease to make a good picture of what was going on in my whole body. So that was really validating to kind of have that done in a, what I felt like was a really professional way. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Um, and that's kind of where I'm at today. I, yeah, I took about four months off aerials and then I went back kind of, I think just after I saw the rheumatologist last year. Um, and now it's just working with mainly building up the muscles in my back and in my glutes. And what we found out was happening was because of the disrupted stuff in my mid back, my glute and hip muscles, like I couldn't switch them on. Like even like, even even if I was intentionally trying to, I wasn't aware of them because of the neurological disruption. Um, And then that happens to people who do not have neurological disruptions either. So it's really hard. You had a legitimate reason (laughs) (laughs) to have that challenge. Yeah. And it is a lot of work. I work with clients who do not have the neurological challenges that you have and still are like, I don't, my glutes. What? Where are they? That's a. I am squeezing my butt. I'm like, no, you're not. <laughs> that was exactly yes. me. It is. It's. It's, it's a. It's a hard thing. There are even yeah, days where I'm is. just like, glutes. Let's mm-hmm. do something, and they're like, nah. <laughs> I don't feel like turning on today. The way that my physio explained it, it was really funny. My because we found out that yeah, that was probably the reason that I had a lot of radiating hip pain because I have really hypermobile hips, and I was really lucky to not ever dislocate anything. Thank God. 
but my hips just couldn't support themselves. So like, I remember like when I was at my worst, if I was to lay on my side and the leg that's on top, if I was to bend and straighten it, it was just like a clunk in one direction and a clunk in the other. Like there was just no muscle (laughs) to control the movement. Um, So my physio said that like when my legs and butt are trying to do something, even if it's just walking, um, if all the muscles are like at a party and they're like getting to know each other, my quads and my thighs are at the party and they're like checking if everyone wants a drink. They're running the music. They're like cleaning as they go. Like they're really doing all the work. And my glutes are out in the back alleyway having a cigarette. <laughs> like they're just oh not God. at the party. I love at all. this scenario. <laughs> I love so it. So using and that. I'm stealing that. <laughs> yeah. I was like, so good. Oh, that's good. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Chelsea and I are going to yeah. be saying that at the studio all the time. <laughs> it's really good. And now it's a really quick way to like know, oh, my glutes just aren't coming to the party if I have like yeah. a couple of weeks where yeah. I'm not training them enough. So, yeah. <laughs> wow. Very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So these days, like symptoms Mm. are doing pretty good. You're back into aerial. You're feeling pretty good these days. Um, Do you also, do you, you work full-time or something, don't you? Do you? Kind of. Yeah. I work 0.8. So I have one day off a week, which is really good. So I kind of have like a three-day weekend. (laughs) Okay, cool. (laughs) Which is awesome. Yeah. (laughs) Is that, um, do you do like, is it mostly desk job that you do? It's mostly desk job. Yeah. I am up and about sometimes, but I'd say probably like, 60 to 70 percent of my day um, is desk job and then of course with the whole COVID situation I'm way more working from a desk because I'm working from home. (laughs) How does your back do with all that? um, It's really mixed I feel like I've had to find what works for me and it's funny because some of the stuff that I have tried is maybe really good for people with a more typical spine but it does not work for me like Right. right next to me at the desk near me now I have a stool that's like has a bit of like um, rotation to it and it's meant to be really good it's almost like you're sitting on a yoga ball so like you've got a little bit of movement in your hips and in your back while you're sitting at your um, desk and I am currently using a different chair because that did not work for me gotcha. <laughs> so like I feel like I've had to try what chairs and what desk situation kind of works for me um, but yeah generally sitting for long periods of time makes it worse but also standing for long periods of time makes yeah. it worse <laughs> so it's kind of like always some variety mm-hmm. um yeah, yeah. definitely um, I know I, I think just like the moving between all the yes. things because yeah if I'm yeah. standing all day that's just as bad as if I've sat all day yeah in different yeah. you know they both just kind of feel a bit different exactly so um yeah. so you mentioned the big in the beginning mm-hmm. uh talking about you know before you transitioned yeah. And some of the medical, like you said, the bias, et cetera. Yes. Would you share some of that with us too? Or Chelsea, sure. did you have another question before I was going to ask that or? Nope. That's okay. perfect. <laughs> cool. So yeah, it's been really interesting, I think. Um, and it's something that I'm still learning, like when I see new doctors and stuff, but I'd say that it feels really different entering the medical system as someone who is read instantly as male versus back when I was in my teens. Um, so I transitioned when I was about 20 ish. So I had, my late teens I remember I did go to the doctor for some back stuff um, and in hindsight it's something that um, maybe they could have found back when I was 19 so in theory the misshapen in my spine would have been formed when I hit puberty so it would have been there by the time I was 19 and I remember when I it was back in 2015 ish um, right before I transitioned I went and actually saw a neurologist because I had pain in my back and <clears throat> excuse me some weird like almost tingling sensation down my thighs um and they did an MRI at the time and so we know MRIs are like the whiz-banger imaging so they in theory could have seen the way that my vertebrae were misshapen um but at the time they I remember the person was like the neurologist was looking at the scans and he said oh there's a slight abnormality in your mid spine but that's really like where I'm in your common like that's not a concern I think what's going on is mental health oh my god (laughs) so and I and it probably was also to do with the fact that I was younger and I wasn't able to better advocate for myself literally he's like (laughs) there's an abnormality but that's common yeah and I hello antithesis I didn't question what is that or even if it is common could it be causing this like I I didn't have the 
I guess, guts to really advocate for myself and question so things a little bit more. I would say if you're 19, yeah. I mean, I, I can't imagine myself being 19. If, no. I, if a doctor was like, oh, it's a little weird, but like, mm. it's normal. It's not that weird. I'd probably be like, okay, it's not that yeah. weird. Like, I yeah. wouldn't think about it. Cause yeah, you're right. I think, I mean, yeah, when you're, when you're 19, yeah. You, I mean, you don't listen to your parents at all, but <laughs> I guess this was the also... first appointment I was having without my parents. So I'm like, I can handle it. And yeah, exactly. You're like, oh, I got this, which we're yeah. fine. And that's, that's, no, I think that that's, I mean, I would have had the same response. It's just mm. who on the doctor who was like, yeah. well, it's not that big of a deal. And in hindsight, like, I think I accepted it because my mental health was not great at the time. So I was like, oh, that's going to be it, right? Um, but yeah, it was not a great time. But I, I think, yeah, the few years and because around that, I was also seeing my general practitioner to kind of see what my back was doing. And my symptoms weren't as horrific back then. They were just like a little niggling, like they weren't as impactful in my life. Um, But comparing that to the experiences I have with doctors nowadays, like even in the last couple of years, the times I've had really bad flare ups or things like that, I just kind of I'm really aware that doctors are really um really forthcoming with treatment ideas or with paperwork so there have been like multiple times when I've been given a um like a pain like a prescription for pain relief just in case like they'll be like I'll just give this to you now just in case you don't have to feel it if you don't feel like you need to um whereas I'll have friends who are female who will have something like you know endometriosis or things like that who have to like beg their doctor for better pain relief um and I've also, I've had like so many things like as a just in case, like I think at one time I had some abdominal pain, like around the middle of last year. Um, and cause digestive stuff is really common with people with hypermobility as well. Uh-huh. Um, and so the doctor gave me a CT scan form just in case. And she's like, Oh, keep an eye on it for, um, you know, a few months. And if it's still just as bad, then get this CT scan. Whereas it, oh yeah, my gosh. it okay, didn't so feel like that ever happened before. <laughs> now I feel like I'm going to have to ask all of our male guests mm. in the future. Have you ever been given something just in just case? In case. Yeah. Because I can't even imagine my doctor giving me an MRI or a CT, yeah. like just in case it doesn't go away, just make a call and make the yeah. appointment. Like it would be mm-hmm another appointment I have to go see them and be like okay like yeah. what you said before isn't working yeah and then you oh have to get the paper form again and some more visits and stuff and I have to wonder as well like the like in 20 late 2020 when I was um when I had just broken up with my first physio and I went back to my doctor and said I want a full scan of my um like I want a full x-ray of my spine I know something's wrong I don't feel right I have to wonder if at that point if I was still presenting as female what that would have looked like whether because I left with the form that day like they were like yep go for an x-ray we trust you and it just kind of feels like that's maybe not the experience of me when I was in my late teens and also my friends like nowadays when they do want to advocate for themselves um and get a scan or get a medication change or things like that so it's really interesting that is really interesting I do think it's gonna impact some of the questions I think we'll ask in the future Cassie yeah because then I also don't know if since you are trans, Ollie, if maybe mm. doctors are like, hey, we want to make sure that we're, we're, we don't want to be accused of not listening to yes. the trans individual. Potentially. So that's where I want to hear from. I mean, it's just, it's just nice to hear from lots of different people what their experience yeah. is. So I guess I should say listeners as you're listening <laughs> to this. Yeah, I'm curious. Um, we're going to have to put like an Instagram poll yeah, up. Yeah, like mm. let us know, like let us know what you identify as and maybe a little tidbit of what your experience has been so we can maybe get yeah. a better idea of what that is because one everyone should get the same care but if we know what boundaries are not boundaries barriers the other b word that's very very important sometimes (laughs) barriers that you might get put up against with healthcare, then it might make you a little bit more aware of Mm. how you can advocate for yourself yeah yeah the other thing i would say that's been really amazing to me in entering the medical world as I guess someone who's read as male is I, since I've transitioned, I don't think a doctor has asked me once if I'm married, if I'm sexually active or if I have a partner. Really? Like I remember being like, as soon as I was like 12 or 13 from the time I was 19, like in my teen years, every doctor's appointment, it was like, are you sexually active? Like, do you have a partner? And that just stopped like around the time I transitioned, that just stopped. The only How time interesting yeah. is that. Okay, so now I want to go ask yeah. my healthcare friends and be like, <laughs> so 
because maybe they're asking because they want to find out if a woman potentially could be pregnant or someone presenting as female could be pregnant. Yeah, I could see that because that actually is a very important thing for them to know from a healthcare standpoint. Yeah, but it's just interesting because then it's like it's that kind of thing of how it's like women get themselves pregnant, you know? Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, I mean, you could still have an STD. Exactly. And that's the thing. Like you could still have pregnancy them. aside. It could be an STI thing. It could be like even like small talk. You know how sometimes doctors are like, oh, who's the special person in your life? Like I've just yeah. never, I haven't had that kind of small talk. Um, See, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. That's, I thought that too, like the small talk, like you said, just the sort of like acknowledgement of others in your life. Yes. It's exactly. kind of like, like oh, the... these women can't, you know, uh, yeah. are they a spinster or, yeah. or them single person. Them. Yeah. Yes. That is actually interesting. And I think Cassie and I will at some point in time do a more in-depth episode, but I've recently had some pelvic pain mm. and I brought this up to my OBGYN gynecologist person, lady doctor. I'm not sure exactly mm-hmm. what her title is. The lady doctor person like a year <laughs> ago. And she didn't seem that interested, but I told yeah. her this year and added in the, I kind of maybe want to have kids in a year. Uh, and she was like, oh, let's get this looked at and I, by just adding in that. Oh, yeah. I maybe want to start having a baby yeah. in a year. All of a sudden it was like, we must make sure everything is perfect. And I'm like, <laughs> should, should I always have led with that? Dang it. <laughs> So it's really maybe mm. try pretending that you maybe want to have kids. You, maybe. you don't want to yeah. see that helps. <laughs> you know, the other interesting thought with that with me is when I think of like males or those mm. presenting as males going in, you know, when you think of the whole kind of like societal stereotype about like men being less emotional, less sensitive, yeah. you know, if their doctor's appointments, they're not being asked similar questions about mm-hmm. like outside of their person, mm-hmm. you know, like their world. That's yeah. also interesting for that, you know, not being a supported societal change. Does that make sense? Am I making sense? Yeah. You guys get yeah, it? I think that does make sense. Yeah. Yeah. I think like just being yeah. like the stress thing, like, mm-hmm. you know, for men, if you think of some of the cultures out there, it's like, if a man is feeling extra stressed or feeling the pressures of like providing for one's family or Mm. career opportunities and moves and et cetera. And then they're having, uh, medical symptoms or physical symptoms or mental health symptoms because of all these things of stress. It's just Mm. sort of interesting that as a male to go in and just not really be asked about like your life in that sense, or, Mm. or like you said, kind of the support of like, yeah, do you have a family or, you know, are Mm. you married? You know, just, it, it is kind of interesting to think of overall many females have kind of been like, men don't get us. They never understand. Yeah. And there's a little bit where it's like, well, what if their whole world, you know, is not being supported of trying to get them to be more understanding of women. Yeah. It's a little bit like, I, it's, that's just really fascinating. My little brain is yeah. like going on some kind of <laughs> wheel somewhere. Yeah. I'm it, like, whoa, the ripple effect. It is really interesting. And someone who's like, I guess, lived in both worlds. Like I've, ha- I've been treated as a female and now I am treated as a male. Like outside, like even today, we're just talking about like the medical side of things, but mm-hmm. outside of the medical world, it's just also bizarre. Like I've learned so many things about the way people perceive me and treat me. Um, and that's been really, really interesting. So that mm. is really interesting. I really appreciate you sharing that perspective mm. because that's, it's just a really important perspective of like human existence, <laughs> you know, like what it's like yeah. having this human experience on the earth yeah. and to kind of really experience these different sides. I think that's just mm. really fascinating. I'm really glad that you shared this with us. Yeah, it has been really interesting. I think like in some, I think I was speaking with Chelsea about this, um, like when we did a Zoom call previously, but I think I've gained a lot of privilege in the medical world entering it as a male, as someone who's instantly read as male, but I've also lost some privileges yeah. in the sense yeah. that's like doctors are just really ridiculous sometimes. And I have many instances of doctors not really understanding my healthcare or making stupid comments or things like that. So I think, yeah, yeah, you kind of like you win some, you lose some. Yeah. It's definitely, there's issues on both sides. Yeah. Yeah. Like Chelsea, when you'd said, you know, maybe some of the doctors are wanting to make sure that you feel heard and seen on the flip side, I'm sure that you're also completely dismissed. Yes. without being yeah. given a chance whatsoever mm-hmm. I mean I think so yeah which and I think often yeah. I have to like I think doctors just don't have a lot of education around how to manage healthcare of someone who's trans and so like a really good instance of this was um 
around the middle of last year, um, when I was having some abdominal pain, they wanted to do some routine blood tests just to see what was going on. Um, and I had to see a new GP for that instance, because I think this was around the time that I was changing GPs because my old one was leaving to a specialty and stuff like that. So anyway, it was a brand new GP. Um, she knew going in, like my first appointment, I was very forthcoming with the fact that I'm trans and we did some routine blood work. And then um, I got a call on like a, it was like a Friday at like 4 p.m. It was like right before they closed for the weekend. And it was the nurse being like, hey, we've got some blood test results. Um, we found, oh, what was it? It was like a high red blood cell count and two or three other things. And they were like, this is something that the doctor wants to discuss with you. Can we make an appointment for you to come see us first thing Monday morning? And I was like, oh shit. <laughs> so I had this That's weekend of like, no, I was like, stressing out I was like oh god like something's up like red blood cell counts can be really important of course and I can't remember what the other things were that were a little bit off um anyway so I had a weekend of like trying not to panic but also low-key panicking and so I come to the doctor's office Monday morning and I because it's a new doctor I brought some printouts that I found of some previous blood work that I had um just in case they were relevant like I just kind of brought them and I was like look I know that you're a new doctor to my case and like this is some tests that I've had the last three to six and nine months, I think. And I wanted to bring them in case they were relevant. Um, and she took one look at it and she's like, ah, I can see what's happened here. Um, turns out your red blood cell count and all these other things are within the range, but whoever was assessing the blood test results or something put you through in the system as female. And the female ranges are different from what the male ranges are. And so my blood work was totally normal. <laughs> and so I had oh this my weekend God, what? and I was stressing out because a nightmare of a weekend. someone made like almost like an admin error. Um, and then, and she was really apologetic. And she's like, I'm so sorry this happened. We didn't mean to stress you out and we're not going to charge you for the appointment today. And I was like, thank you. I really don't want to <laughs> pay for this. <laughs> yeah. How interesting. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I think that's one of the... De- I guess debates out there when it mm. comes to gender versus born sex yeah. and what that means for your physiology. Yes. I am not an expert in it at <laughs> all. I'm a believer. If you feel you are a certain gender and you want to live your life as something, you do that. <laughs> I don't, yeah. I'm not knowing enough about the science of how that <laughs> figures out, but it is interesting. And now again, I want to go ask some of my healthcare friends that have gone through, like I have a friend who's um, a PA and I kind of want to be like, mm. Hey, did they in your schooling? Cause she, she graduated a few years ago. So she'd be oh, yeah. probably on a more hopefully updated curriculum. <laughs> I want to be like, Hey, like, did they talk about transgender and mm. how those test results would be maybe different or how to look at that extra layer? Um, yeah. That's really interesting. Cause I know yeah. like, whenever doctors are like prescribing exercise advice, I'm like, please just stop. You don't get enough exercise yeah. or nutrition schooling in your education. You focus on so many more other things. Please allow exercise and nutrition professionals <laughs> to give <laughs> yeah. that advice instead. To be the ones who do it. Yeah, exactly. And so I know that doctors and healthcare providers have to, they, they have to learn so much. Oh, definitely. But I mean, this especially... I feel like in the past few years has become so much more of a prominent thing mm. in our society that, I mean, I, I would have to imagine that and, and kind of assume that healthcare providers are working with people that are trans so much more that they they've got to get the knowledge somehow. So yes. now I'm curious of how they approach that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. I think, I mean, it depends on the doctors. Like I think you get like the doctor that I had to move away from because she changed specialties, she was really, really good at that stuff. Like there was never an issue um, in how my like bloods were reported or anything, um, or if she didn't know, she would go and find out. So I think it does take, like, because I my understanding is that it's not really in the training for people to become doctors, at least at this stage, at least in the place that I live. Um, but it does take doctors who maybe have a personal interest or they've already had a couple of clients who are trans to kind of seek out the knowledge themselves. Mm-hmm. So if you have a doctor who hasn't had that happen yet, they maybe aren't aware of their bias or maybe aren't aware of um, what they don't know. You know, it's like a bit of a blind spot for them. Yeah. And I guess mm-hmm. a whole other level of advocation that you have to do for yourself by being trans, right. you have to be like, hey, mm-hmm. just a reminder, what are you putting down in the system? Oh no, Ollie froze. <laughs> oh, oh wait, you're back. Oh, okay, I froze. Sorry, I'm back. <laughs> okay. Well, 
<laughs> As we're kind of wrapping up, Ollie, is there anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners? Um, I know that's so. a hard question. <laughs> I know I'm rambled like, enough, <laughs> and it's like so vague. <laughs> it's so vague. I'm like, oh, what could I say? Um, yeah, I mean, I think yeah, I think you've kind of touched on a few really good points yourself about like not everyone is going to be experts in things like you guys being physios you're not always going to be experts in mm-hmm. trans healthcare mm-hmm. and vice versa for mm-hmm. doctors who mm-hmm. don't understand muscles and nutrition so I think yeah I think I would encourage people to think about um who are experts in this field so the experts in the field would be the people with lived experience the so people like me and other folks who are gender diverse but also doctors and researchers who have learned in a non-biased way um and I think a lot of the media reporting around trans people is like really inflammatory and really not correct (laughs) the media is all about getting clicks and so they have incredibly stupid headlines that are like definitely they're just fake exactly yeah so I think yeah I think it's just being mindful of if you want to learn about trans stuff maybe think about doing it from an actual trans person rather than the media so yeah, yeah, I think that's really important. I'm, I'm so glad that we had you on, you know, oh, we've been connected for like over a year, like a year and a half or yeah, something, right? Yeah. I think I found, yeah, I think I found your podcast, um, right as I was going into trying to advocate for myself in healthcare. And so it was really good timing. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you. Perfect. But we just, we so appreciate you and have been so glad to have been connected, you know, throughout and just, you know, it is interesting in like the virtual world that, Mm. you know, fine. I know that you and Chelsea got to chat, but this is the first time we've chat, but I feel like I know you, you know, (laughs) I feel like I know you too. Yeah. And so it's like so fun. And I'm just really glad that you, you know, agreed to come on the show. This was just wonderful. (laughs) And many shameless plug. If you all listening want to come talk to Ollie a little bit yes. more, oh, come join the wellness <laughs> hub. And so we can have hub hangouts and conversations and all just talk together. And if you don't want to join the wellness hub, we will not hold it against you though. It's a really cool, fun space. And we're doing a lot of fun stuff <laughs> in it this year. Where else can people find you on the internet, Ollie, if they want to connect um, with you? Yeah. So the main place on the internet that I use is Instagram. So my Instagram is Olsky underscore. So yeah. I might make sure you have that for your notes if that's right. Um, yeah, and I include that in the show notes. And from there, I've also recently started a separate Aerials account, but that's in the bio of my main profile. So if people are Aerials, they can follow me there. If they just want live stuff, they can follow me on my main account. That's Yay. amazing. <laughs> Thank you so much, Ollie. This has been amazing. Thank you for sharing your story and being our first trans guest because we really have been wanting to to talk to someone Mm -hmm. about that perspective because it is so unique Mm -hmm. and there are people out there that want to be able to either hear so they don't feel less they feel less alone they don't feel so alone out there or want to be able to learn how to be better allies and support the trans people in their life so thank you so much for sharing find find more people to connect with yeah so yeah. yeah yay (laughs) <laughs> well we hope your saturday is fantastic oh thank you i'm sure it'll be great <laughs> i hope your Yay. friday night is fantastic yeah. thank you <laughs> Yay. thanks for listening to this episode and if you love this podcast and want to show your support please leave a review share the podcast with others or join us in the wellness hub community these little things really do help to get our podcast out there to others if you'd like to connect with cassie and i you can find us on instagram at The Real Wellness Hub or on our website, mywellnesshub.co for all sorts of resources and to find our Wellness Hub community.